The final international break of the year is over and done with. So here on the other Bundesliga podcast, we're joined by special guest Lars Sivertsen to look back on Austria's last three games of the year and look ahead to what awaits in 2021. Welcome to the Other Bundesliga podcast. The team are here to record remotely from lockdown. There's me, Tom Midler. We've got Lee Wingate on the line, Simon Clark too, and our special guest, Lars Sivertsen, will be joining us a little bit later on as we dive into all things Austria over the international break. There are some very interesting results to talk about, at least even if the games themselves might not have been the most exciting ones that we've ever seen. But before we talk Austrian national team and UEFA Nations League, We've got a new partnership to tell you about on the other Bundesliga. If you haven't noticed already from our social media, support for the other Bundesliga is now brought to you by Manscaped, the best for men's below the waist grooming. There's some absolutely great kit, really good stuff. They're taking over the world. So even in Europe now, you can get your hands on Manscaped grooming products. And we have had a go with the Lawnmower 3.0. Uh, we've each got our own, I should point out. We haven't all just had a go with one lawnmower. <laughs> but I'm going to call this out, guys, because obviously, you know, it's a new uh, new partnership. We were quite excited. The first things that you guys said to me after using these products were both really funny. So I'm going to call that out because, Lee, d- did you say did you say you're a believer or you're a convert? Yeah, I got the gear through, I think, before you two. So I was kind of the guinea pig. And uh, previously, I mean, God, it feels strange talking about this on a podcast, but... Some of the things that have happened in 2020, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise anymore. I have shaved my balls with the lawnmower 3.0. And uh, yeah, pre- previously I always used to use scissors. And, you know, it's a little bit, there's a bit of a dangerous aspect to it. You never know. You never know what's going to happen, really. Scissors? Um, Are you mad? Yeah. No, no. But you, you just have to be a little bit careful, <laughs> don't you? You know, you have to look at what you're doing. It's not like you can close your eyes. But yeah, I, I use the, the lawnmower and it is... Uh, Super sleek, very light, waterproof, and yeah, the battery lasts forever. I haven't had to charge it. I kind of feel like it's one of those things that you never know you need, really. You know, a bit like an electric toothbrush. When you're younger, you just, you know, you just use a a toothbrush, don't you? Because it's what you're given and that's what you use to clean your teeth. But then the electric toothbrush comes along and you realize that you can, uh, you know, do it much more effectively, much more quickly. And, you know, it's much easier. So I, I feel kind of feel that's a bit like what's happening with my balls right now. They're going through that that smooth lawnmower experience. <laughs> but can the lawnmower 3.0 cut it on a rainy Thursday night in Hartberg? Yeah, I don't see why not. <laughs> Simon, you texted me and said, my balls feel sensational. I've, I've read the text message. I've got it here. I don't get many texts from you. Usually we're talking about a different kind of balls, but I presume that was coming after you'd used some Manscaped products. Exactly. Um, so when you get your Manscaped kit, you, you get two extra things in the package. One of them is a toner, and the toner basically makes your balls feel soft and wonderful and, and illustrious. <laughs> Honestly, I can sit here and tell you on this podcast that they've never been softer. <laughs> is it like I'm, I'm, I'm a happy customer. <laughs> deodorant for down there? Because I was like, what, exactly, what is yeah. ball toner? <laughs> I don't know, but it makes your, it makes your balls feel incredibly soft. Can I just say that the, the ball deodorant as well smells absolutely divine. Like, honestly, 
that stuff is amazing. I don't know what they've put in it, but it smells incredible. So, you know, if you want some incredible smelling balls as well, go to Manscaped. <laughs> It's very specific, but that's what it's for. You know, I've also, I've nicked in the past. I've been a victim oh. of, of, of errant shaving. So the story of you with your scissors, Lee, it, it gives me shudders, but that's not something I ever wanted to repeat. But this one, the Manscaped lawnmower has got like a guard on it. I reckon it's got safer hands than Cetan Stankovic. Nothing's <laughs> getting through there. Can't slip through. So it's safe now. I guess that's why their tagline is, we save balls. I guess they've got the right tagline, haven't they? That is Manscaped. They're supporting us now on the other Bundesliga. They support the Testicular Cancer Society as well, which is absolutely awesome. And the best bit is if you head to manscaped.com, you can use our new code, Other Bundesliga. And uh, if you put in that code, Other Bundesliga, you're going to get 20% off and free shipping as well. Can't say fairer than that. And uh, talking of packages, given that it's like Black Friday time of year, Christmas shopping time of year, there's some great packages on there. You can get sort of whole boxes full of things with all of the kit that you're going to want. There's the, the weed whacker for nasty nasal hairs as well. There's the lawnmower that we've talked about, uh, lawnmower 3.0 and all the rest of the tools that you need for your family jewels. So we're excited about that new partnership. Go and check them out. It's a, a good gift for yourself or a good present for somebody else as well. And also it's going to make some fantastic uh, content for the podcast going forward, no? <laughs> <laughs> Now, from those balls, let's move on to another type of balls, the type of balls that we're more used to talking about on the other Bundesliga podcast. But uh, this time it's international football because Austria had another three games in recent days. The first of those games was uh, Luxembourg versus Austria. It was a game that many people feared might be pointless before it happened. Lee, do you think it was a pointless friendly in Luxembourg? Yeah, I'm going to start off having a little moan about this one because... Obviously, because of the coronavirus pandemic, the, the fixture schedule is so congested right now. And I just think that, you know, really, there's a good argument for, for even not having the Nations League. But the, the money spinning operation that is UEFA are obviously going to keep that going. But if you've got seven or eight days with an international team, don't play a third game. Don't have a pointless friendly against Luxembourg. And, you know, that's, that's not meant with, with disrespect towards Luxembourg, but I don't think any, any international team should be having friendlies right now. I think it's just a, a waste of time and it's, it's a danger because it means that they, they then go back to their, their clubs. And, you know, if you look at the statistics in the German Bundesliga at the moment, most of the coronavirus cases are coming after international breaks. So I just think it's an additional risk, really. But then when you go over to the, the Lask players, you know, I think at one point on the pitch against Luxembourg, there were four Lask players in action, something which hasn't happened for a long, long time, maybe ever. So many Austrian players, you know, players who are playing their football here in the Austrian domestic game, getting a run out for the national team and, and having an impact as well. You know, when, when you look at the game after the full-time whistle, uh, was it still pointless? Was it still a burden or, you know, did it have at least some upsides as well? Of course, there were definitely upsides. You look at, you know, goals for Adrian Grobic, who's uh, doing really well for, for Austria right now. And the last duo of Gernot Trauner and Philipp Wiesinger both got debut goals for their country. So, of course, there are certainly upsides. And, you know, Luxembourg are, are perhaps not the quite the minnows that they used to be. You know, they've won three of their last four competitive games in, in, the, in the Nations League. So there are an international team on the up. So it was still a test for Austria. So, yeah, of course, plenty of positives. But I'm just trying to think from a more, I don't know, holistic point of view to look at this whole situation. And 
I just can't see the sense in, in trying to cram in fixtures. Most of these players have played something like 13, 14 or 15 games over the last 60 days. And I just think we're putting putting athletes through too much, really. I think th- there needs to be a degree of sense applied to this. Well, you're right. It was a test. Uh, Austria came through it in the end with a couple of late goals. As you mentioned, you know, Trauner, Wiesinger on the score sheet, uh, Balic playing as well. And uh, yeah, lovely, lovely international break from from the Austrian Bundesliga perspective. But that game just served as a bit of a warm-up for the two Nations League games, the final Nations League games of 2020, of course, for Austria, as for everybody else. And uh, it started off for Austria in Vienna against Northern Ireland. Often a difficult game, quite a defensive side, Northern Ireland. And uh, nobody was really expecting a thriller, but Simon went along to see it in the cold weather in Vienna. And uh, a thriller is not what you received, is it, Simon? No, it was not a thriller by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think we expected it, as you said, not to be a magnificent exhibition of football. But you had two teams setting up very negatively. Northern Ireland, let's be honest, have to because of the standard of their players. And you have Austria, who, who don't really have to set up so negatively. But Austria did anyway. Franco Foda did set up with seven defensive players in the team. And it was only when, when Marco Arnautovic came on in the 62nd minute that Austria showed any true attacking intentions in the game. But it was Northern Ireland who took the lead with a quarter of an hour left in the game after some dreadful defending. And whole City striker Josh McGuinness opened the scoring after capitalising on that, and at that point, it was very much a, uh, yeah, it was not fun. Uh, our, our feed was uh, <laughs> quite negative. But um, it took two players playing in the Swiss Super League and League 1 to uh, to come on off the bench. Louis Schaub came on, and he might have been offside, but he fired into the net with 10 minutes to go. And then Adrian Gerbic scored his second goal in two games. And it was the two subs that scored the two late goals and Austria won 2-1, but it was not a pretty affair. It was not a fun game. It, was, it wasn't a great evening for Franco Foda, let's be honest. I mean, it doesn't sound that bad, you know, going 1-0 down late on and then turning it around to win 2-1. That sounds sounds potentially entertaining. Is it sort of a, a wider problem of Foda ball? Because it seems that over here, you know, that was Austria's fifth win in a row, I believe, at that point. And yet... You know, you're describing it as such an awful game and people over here were really not happy. But when you get two late goals to win a game, it should be celebrated, shouldn't it? It was more a case of relief, though, I think. Um, the first one hour of the game, I wrote on Twitter, was the, fir- was the worst hour of football I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've seen some rubbish football in my time. <laughs> so um, it, was just, it was just a really... It, it was cagey, but it didn't have to be cagey. The talent that Austria have is enough to play great attacking football. And, and we, we talked about it on the, on, on the Uban home on, on, on um, Wednesday, Tom, just saying that a lot of these players have come through the, through the Red Bull Salzburg system. Surely it's only a matter of time until they start playing this attacking, fun football. But Foda is just the complete opposite of that. So you have these players playing for these attacking teams, but they come play for the Austrian national team. And yes, Northern Ireland is not the kind of opponent where you can play this type of football. But... Did it give us much more than this, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure how many players in the Austria national setup, probably in double figures at least, have been sort of schooled in that Red Bull model. You wonder how many years it'll be until 
the coach, the Austria coach, is is somebody who's schooled in the Red Bull coaching model too, because there are so many coaches floating around, not just in Austria, not just in Germany, but there are so many coaches who, when you look back at their past, they've actually been schooled in that style and the the style of football that they're learning to play and they're learning to implement is is really really attractive and that seems to be just the main thing that's missing right now because Austria are effective they're getting the job done and uh, it's something that we've noticed sort of for the last 18 months or so even when they qualified for the Euros you know almost exactly one year ago we were in the Ernst-Happelstadion again watching Austria qualify and even then it was kind of a bit of celebration but a lot of negativity as well. People are not uh, not excited by this Austria team, no doubt about it. It's understandable, but the thing is, I must give Foda some credit because his three substitutes made all the difference in the game. Arnautovic, Schaub and, and, and Gergovic all partnered up for, for the two goals. So you have to give Foda credit there, that he realised that there, there was an issue going forward and he rectified it. But it's the kind of issue that shouldn't have been there regardless, you know? And while that was going on, Austria beating Northern Ireland in the other game in the group, there was a whole mess with the game between Romania and Norway. That made international attention. Of course, there were plenty of positive COVID tests, as Lee alluded to, all over the international break with with many sides encountering problems. But uh, one of the very few games that was actually called off in the end was Romania against Norway for uh, for reasons that we're we'll discuss a little bit later that turned into a whole mess uh, we talked to our special guest Lars Sivertson about that absolutely brilliant to have Lars on the podcast and to start off with he explained a little bit about the background for Norway and how they were going into this game against Austria where they obviously ended up having to put together a C team UEFA protocol says if you if you test negative, then then you're fine to play football, even if you have been in contact with uh, someone who has the virus. Now, in Norway, it's a little bit different. Their, their rules are stricter than the UEFA protocols. If you've been in, in close contact, if you're deemed to have been in close contact with someone who's tested positive, you have to isolate for, for 10 days. doesn't matter how many negative uh, tests you 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 deliver if you've been in contact with someone who's been positive you have to isolate for 10 days now that that that's what became a problem in this international break is we were initially meant to play a friendly in oslo against israel we were then meant to play uh, away to romania in the nations league and then we were meant to play you guys now the first thing that happened was that the israeli squad had a positive test when they arrived in norway with munas dabur of hoffenheim who um who tested positive. Now, he hadn't trained with the team yet, as far as I understand. So his only close contact was uh, was a player called Bibras Nacho, who I believe was must have been his roommate or something. So they had one guy who had to go away with a positive test and one guy who, by the Norwegian uh, rules, had to, had to self-isolate. And it did seem like that game could go ahead, but it was decided on late, late notice that it shouldn't go ahead just to stay on the safe side. Um, so that was actually cancelled on the day last week, uh, not the day before anything. The game was cancelled on the on the day it was meant to go ahead, uh, which was a bit frustrating, but they all thought, all right, we can maybe do without that friendly and a few extra days to relax and practice. I mean, all the players are playing too much these days anyway. But then they were meant to go to, to Romania at the weekend, uh, and they had a positive test in the squad on the Friday. Uh, the right-back Omar Al-Abdoulaye uh, had a positive test. Now, again, the rest of the squad all tested negative, and they were tested again uh, afterwards, and they all tested negative again. 
I think they were actually tested twice, actually, uh, after the po one positive, and they all tested negative, which by UEFA's rules means they would have been fine to play. But again, Norwegian rules are different. So they tried to find some sort of way of fixing this. They'd already agreed to not take any Norway-based players to this game in Romania to avoid the issue of them coming back uh, from a country where there's quite a lot of COVID going back into Norway, which people felt uneasy about. So they were only traveling with players who were based abroad anyway. And the, the Norwegian FA felt that even if they had been in contact... Uh, with a, a player who had tested positive and by the Norwegian rules they should quarantine uh, for, for 10 days they felt that within the UEFA protocols they, they should be able to go and play this game so they were all they, they hadn't boarded the plane yet I believe the plane had been loaded with the cargo and stuff the plane was at the airport in Oslo and I believe the players were at the airport and they were ready to go on this chartered plane where they would all be socially distanced and all that. When when it was it was announced, or they they got them the message from on high and the Norwegian health authorities that they could not go anywhere because they were meant to be quarantining. They could not leave their quarantine uh, to go to work effectively, which is what traveling to this game would be. Now, now this is where it became quite likely fraught and controversial in Norway because what they could do, they were allowed to travel back to their homes to continue quarantining there. Now, of course, their homes are in various European countries. So you had this sort of farcical situation where a squad of entirely foreign-based players were allowed to travel back home to where they live on commercial airlines if they wanted to, but they were not allowed to, to take off in a chartered plane that was going to Romania to play a game. Of course, now, if they'd just gotten to Romania, then Romanian rules presumably would have applied when they landed, so it would have been fine there, but they weren't allowed to leave. The, the plane just couldn't leave because they were technically meant to be quarantining. There's a rather farcical situation, which, as you can understand, made a lot of people very frustrated. Wow, that's quite a situation. <laughs> <laughs> so just in actual fact, the situation you had was that instead of just sending the squad of players in a, a plane that was like, like a 139-seater they were traveling in, so they could all socially distance quite a lot uh, on their journey to Romania, instead of them going there, a good bunch of them ended flying commercially back home to various European countries, while a whole new squad of foreign-based players had to be called up and flown in commercially, <laughs> which doesn't seem very good for limiting the spread of the virus, really, uh, as far as I'm aware. Now, in the end, I think some of the more high-profile players like Aling Holland, uh, Alex Solot, uh, Sander Bergi, Martin Edgo, uh, their clubs actually put on private jets to, for, for them to get home to, to make it a little bit safer. Uh, but that's how we ended up being in a situation where we couldn't take any of our domestic-based players because uh, traveling in and out of the country is problematic. We couldn't take any of our you know, first-choice foreign-based players because they all had to quarantine, though they were allowed to go home, uh, which in this case would mean leave the country. They just weren't allowed to go to Romania. I guess <laughs> technically they could have all just flown to Frankfurt or something and then gotten on a different plane and gone to Romania. But anyway, it would have been a huge PR problem. Um, so, so we had to then call up a, a, an entirely... Uh, not really, not even a second string. I mean, if we called up a second string national team, I think we would have a lot of domestic-based players in it. We had to find a squad of players who were all based outside of Norway who had not been in the initial squad. So there were some players there who I think would be really far away from contention for the international team. Where there was, where there were some in that team who were knocking on the door already, and and a few of them I think made a very strong case to be considered in the future in the game against you guys because there were a few decent performances in there. There definitely were, yeah. It sounds like people in Norway generally were sort of willing to accept 
that on a sporting sense, just taking taking the the nil three against Romania was kind of a worthy thing to do, given how difficult the situation was, and just sort of being sensible with the rules. But that did tee up this this Austria Norway game, especially with this sort of third string thrown together Norway side. It, it set everything up really, really in a quite exciting and, and unusual way. And yeah, as you said, a lot of those players then did themselves proud, didn't they? It was one of the odder stories we've had in international football in recent times, I think it's fair to say. I think reaction in Norway, I have to say, was very split. Uh, I think a lot of the people who who follow football closely have have gotten used to football going ahead this autumn, who have seen Champions League grounds being played, Europa League grounds being played, other internationals being played. I think they were incredibly frustrated that the plane couldn't just go to Romania. (laughs) Like, why Why are we the only country in Europe who can't figure this out? And we had some pretty vocal, I mean, some especially some former players uh, were very, very vocal in their frustration. And uh, But then again, on other, it became like a national talking point, as you can imagine. And people who are not football people, people who, you know, watch a bit of football, but generally sort of live their lives, they, their perspective was much more than, much more like we... These these are our rules in this country, and even football has to follow the rules. So the reaction was very, very mixed, and on social media, I think the discourse was quite savage, I have to say, to the extent that Norwegians ever get uh, very angry and, and and savage with each other on social media. It was, it was quite, The atmosphere was very bad, which is why the sort of emergency international team became like a whole sort of unifying experience, because everyone could get behind these guys. You know, some of them put out, like, quite... Um, quite fun videos. Ruben Gabrielsen of Toulouse, of course, our centre half, put up a really funny video on Twitter of him running through his house, getting his passport ready, like with the sort of Avengers theme in the background. And uh, Eric Tostvets, a son, uh, Christian Tostvets, who who came in, he plays in Belgium. He did a sort of a really chilled out video where he had a frying pan, and I think he said something about, "So, do you guys have any tips for what to eat when you're playing a game in a couple of days?" He, he put out that video before it had been officially announced that he was in, and there was like one. Rep- Reporter uh, Rilas Ulsada uh, from Vega, who who kept like kept a running tally of which players had had gotten the phone call, you know, and it was this sort of trying to get a team together, and everyone were and everyone kind of got really excited about it. And on on the subject of the game itself, it's amazing what expectations does to your perspective on a game because I think if we had our full squad, we would probably be expecting to win this. Uh, but there was so much. I mean, the press coverage bordered on the <laughs> bordered on the condescending, really. The way, of course, it was really difficult for these guys because they'd only just gotten together. They had one training session uh, in in, uh, in Vienna the night before. So they they some of them had never met. I'm sure, maybe. I mean, they'd certainly not played together more than that one time. So it was a team that was thrown together, and and maybe a team you see you see getting names like David Alaba and Sabitzer and Anasovic and on the team sheet of the opponents and you think ooh this could be bad uh, but um, the people had very very low expectations and they were just hoping they'd uh, they'd make a good go of it and they certainly did and it was really really positive I think the, the TV viewing I think that I read that it peaked at 1.900,000 people were were watching it in a, in a country of you know five five and a half million I think we're five million now in Norway so that's like 20% of the population watching it on TV that's, that's a pretty big number it's a, so it really caught the imagination of everyone the Austria coach, Franco Foda, said that, to be honest, he expected Norway to be really fired up because this was a, a one-off opportunity for these players to come in and, and make history, really. 
Do you think that that goes some way to explaining the performance? Because how else do we explain a performance by a team that has never played together before? Yeah, I think I think the the effort was obviously uh, was obviously big, and you had a group because of the nature of the squad. You had a lot of guys who felt that either they they there are some players there who probably feel like they should be involved with this national squad anyway you know footballers back themselves we all know that but some of them will have felt that this was a chance to make a point some will have felt that this is probably my one cap so i'm going to make the best of it and i can you know show the video to my family and this sort of thing so for, for various reasons everyone had had very very strong reasons to put in everything they had maybe more so than you otherwise would in the third game out of three in a sort of november international break in the middle of a pandemic in a Europa League match you know so there was more motivation there uh, someone like Veton Berisha who played up front is a guy who who always gives 100% anyway but you know there there were some people out there who had a point to prove um, Mats Meladali uh, who played on the left side of midfield our captain on the night put in a very good shift he's someone who was very very promising when he's young he's had a really tough time with injuries and he's trying to sort of rebuild his career now he certainly would have taken this uh, opportunity to, to show everyone what he can do so you're certainly right in the saying that this was a, a Norway team who was probably you know significantly lower on quality than the team you would have met if all those sort of uh, quarantining uh, foreign international <laughs> foreign players that we had uh, were, were in there but no the, the motivation was was very very big and I, I think the way the game went kind of tells you something in the sense that we I thought we did a really good job nullifying you guys in the first half and making it hard for you to create clear-cut chances then at the start of the second half it was clear some words had been spoken at halftime in your team. I think you came out and looked uh, looked hungrier and looked like, all right, we mean business now. But you weren't able to get the goal and the Norwegian team sort of stuck at it and, and, and things kind of stabilized for me. Uh, throughout the second half but then maybe last 15 20 minutes certainly last 15 minutes our our players were tired uh, you can tell and we were struggling to to press you the way we were trying to do and we ended up being pushed back quite far and and yeah the equalizer you can't say you didn't deserve the equalizer to be honest even if they put in a very very good shift i felt like austria almost had sort of a good five minutes for every good 10 minutes that norway had especially in the in the first half yeah and maybe the first 60 or 70 minutes of the game but of course you know a, a proud performance and a highly motivated performance from this young norway side it, it sort of uh, sparked some dreams of a bit more than that when they went 1-0 up didn't it and i really felt in the stadium you could see what it meant to those players they they really celebrated that goal in in a kind of nice way you could see some real emotion coming out there when they went 1-0 up Huge emotion and the player scoring, like I said, Veton Berisha, not the most talented player in the world, but someone who's always really works really hard and has quite a few caps, actually. He's one of the few players out there who has a few caps. Him him doing the legwork uh, ahead of it and then passing to Guy Asaid, who plays in Cyprus. Now, Zahid is someone who... He's of a Norwegian-Pakistani background, born in Oslo, though, I'm pretty sure. And uh, and is someone who feels, I think, on talent and, and, and on footballing ability, perhaps should have been in the squad earlier. And he's someone who definitely will have had a point to prove out there, I think. Uh, a, a type of, you saw some of his deliveries from set pieces were very good as well. And someone who has a skill set, I think, the, the full national team could, could perhaps use. So the, the, both those two players are players who certainly will have been very, very fired up. But I also thought there was a great story within the story. Here was our goalkeeper, Pekastian uh, Boltweit, who um, who had an inconclusive COVID test, so he couldn't fly with everyone else on the plane down to Vienna. So what they had to do was test him again 
which took a bit of time. Uh, so, so he had to wait for that to come back, and it came back negative. Uh, and to get him to the game in time, they had to put on a private plane for him, which isn't super cheap. And it's um, it cost about ten thousand euros, I think, thereabouts, uh, to to get that all done. Just I don't book a lot of private planes. And in the end, Pekka Stenbol tried to goalkeeper only landed in uh, Vienna about seven and a half hours before the game was due to kick off. So he didn't have a single training session with the sort of ad hoc uh, banter squad that we'd put together. And I think a lot of people felt, oh, did, did we really need to spend that kind of money flying down? Like we already had one goalkeeper. Couldn't like, one of the right backs could do a Kyle Walker if need be, and the game probably does doesn't matter anyway was there really much point to it but then in the end he had an amazing save on a big chance in the second half which uh, I just sort of tweeted that was probably worth the private plane right there and I think because we were 1-0 up at the time and it looked like like something could really happen but uh, no listen in the, in the end it, it was um it, it was one of the sort of it, it created a massive sort of feel-good thing in Norway this national team game even if it was not a win in the end and not the result we needed but uh, the expectations obviously were very low and that the effort was there for everyone to see and then made everyone feel good about themselves and everything that went on you mentioned Arnautovic there as well I know you know he was sort of trying to g Austria into a bit of life because they looked a bit flat at times um, he took a lot of shots, didn't he, Arnautovic? It was uh, was that because Norway were stopping Austria from creating anything? You know, that looked like a very organised performance from a side who didn't know each other. Yeah, I was surprised by how well organised they were, I have to say. I thought they did really well. Central midfielders did a tremendous job running around. Uh, the defenders kept the sort of distances between them very well. Uh, I think there were a fair few players there who will feel, come the next international break, that they should be involved with the Norwegian setup still, even if the sort of first-choice lads are available. But no, Anatovic, I just noticed, I looked at some numbers. I like my numbers. I looked at some stats after the game, and Anatovic took as many shots as Norway did in the game. He had nine shots which is a tremendous number uh but but actually four of them were from outside the box now if you're not used to looking at stats after games like having four shots from outside the box is pretty wild uh to put it into comparison the player who shoots the most often you know the player in the top five leagues in europe sorry who shoots i don't know what goes on in the smaller league maybe you have someone who shoots even more in austria but in the sort of traditional top five european leagues the player who's uh, shoots the most on average from outside the box per game is Neymar as you would expect he does like to shoot but he he shoots two and a half times uh, from outside the box per game so that is sort of at the very 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 high end of what you'll see players do in terms of shots from outside the box so four in a game is pretty wild from Arnautovic uh, with a further, further five finishes from inside the box I do wonder if with Arnautovic if, because Norway, Norway we did defend quite compact when we had to did a pretty good job uh, stopping you guys from, from getting into more promising positions that he just got kind of got annoyed and just decided to launch it quite a few times whereas uh, uh, which, which isn't which isn't I mean there's a reason players don't shoot that often from range it isn't a very effective thing to do I mean they very rarely go in long shots but after all of those shots in the end Austria did break the hearts of Norway with Gerbic's goal right at the death I noticed after Norway went 1-0 up Austria actually restricted Norway from really having many other chances. So 2-0 is what, what Norway would have needed. But you almost felt at 1-0 going into the 90th minute that 
Austria would have been happy with a nil-one defeat because it would have topped them the group anyway, and Norway would have been happy with a one-nil win. So h- how disappointed were they? I think they were frustrated, but I'm not. I'm not sure. I completely agree that they would have been happy with a one-nil win. I think the players knew uh, because you actually saw uh, you had a shot wide after 90 minutes had gone in injury time. You had a shot that went wide, and you notice our goalkeeper actually started the game quickly. I mean, there was no sense of just you know bouncing the ball around a bit and having a chill and waiting for the. The, the whistle to come and I, I certainly I think I think me being Norwegian here but I, I do think they might possibly have held on if they if one nil had been enough for for anything because then we could have done a bit of time wasting and focused more on winning fouls and this sort of thing I mean they were still trying to score goals but at that point I think players were very very tired and we just couldn't manage it and l- let's not forget like you guys have got some really good players I know you're, you're probably feeling a little bit underwhelmed with your national team at the moment so maybe uh, but uh, there's some really good players there and I was actually I just sent um slightly sarcastic message to a friend of mine who also covers European football about, you know, David Alaba, you know, because the word is, of course, that he would prefer to play in midfield for Bayern as well. And I, and I wrote a sort of slightly sarky message about if he wants to play in midfield for Bayern, he best be hoping none of them are watching this game because I thought he wasn't maybe as good or as influential as you would expect a player of his quality to be if he plays in midfield. Uh, but then just as I'd written that, he was very heavily involved in the goal and, and, and did some very fine work. I mean, this is something about the Austrian uh, national team at the moment where um, the performances haven't been very enticing to the supporters. I just wanted your opinion on the Austria team and how they played and how conservative they were in, in this match. I think it was a tricky game for you because you're you're facing a team of guys who are uh, like we like we touched on unusually motivated and unusually fired up for a nations league game like this and and we played qu- we were quite successful at being compact and not giving you a lot of space to work with um but you do also think there were times where a bit more movement off the ball could perhaps have been a good thing. I mean, that's why you do end up with Anatovic just launching it uh, from range rather more often than he should. Because he probably doesn't feel he has enough options around him. And perhaps it was a little bit static and predictable sometimes what was going on. Which again, predictable, not something you associate with Mr. Marko Anatovic. But no, a little bit more movement off the ball. And it looked like you were... It looked like you were short on ideas, basically. Like the players didn't quite know what to do a lot of the time. I mean, this is the thing with uh, with Austria at the moment. Um, Franco Foda, he's a very conservative manager, and it seems to me that the players they're very much used to playing in attacking teams. So when they come play for the Austria national team and they're playing this really really awful standard of football, then uh, I think they kind of get confused a little bit. We've had that problem ourselves very recently. So we, we, that's like that meme with the two big biceps and the sort of the handshake. That's that's us as well. Because, yeah, we have, with our regular national team, we have sort of Martin Odegaard and, and Arling Holland, of course, and, and uh, Alex Solot and all these exciting players. But Lars Lagerbeck is a very conservative manager who wants to set up in a sort of Roy Hodgson-like two banks of four, you know, keep it tight, uh, keep it compact, which was... You know, a similar plan to what we did in this game under the leadership of, of uh, Las Conas Meru. Uh, but, and, but in a game like this, when you have sort of a, with all, of, with all due respect, second-rate uh, team, or you know, by very definition, I guess, second-rate team, who, who are maybe a bit short on ability but have a ton of things to prove, that sort of setup makes a lot of sense. But if you have genuine, like, top-quality players who, who, who want to play some football, that setup isn't maybe the best thing. And I think that's a conflict that we're going to have quite a lot as long as Lagerbeck stays in Norway going forward. So I guess we can have another sort of 
joint sort of hands across the continent podcast where we complain about exactly the same thing just with different players and different coaches i'm sure we can do do that at some point i mean austria can at least sort of rest on the laurels that they got through they topped the group in the end but is there a bit of frustration in norway about the fact that you know potentially norway were denied this top spot with what happened with the whole mess of the last few weeks the romania game this third string side and is there a little hint of irony that you touched on earlier of course the Austria side actually got a better result against the the A side of Norway than they did against this kind of C team (laughs) yeah I mean I didn't want to say this on social media last night because you don't want to go completely against what everyone's saying and feeling because they get annoyed with you. Everyone were really delighted with the performance and felt it was really uplifting, and it was. But I also sat watching this game and thinking, you know, I mean, with all due respect to, to Jürgen Stanlassen, who was our number nine on the day, if we had just Erling Holland instead of him there, we would have won this game like so it's just it's a little bit frustrating with all due respect to, to Austria you've got some terrific players but this, this is not a not a super like unbeatable team and we would have also fancied us to get results against Romania really so the frustration is that the, the, the we, we could have very possibly topped the group here but then again I mean Maybe maybe being in Group B is, is is more fun. I mean, in terms of who you play against, uh, I I do worry that if we went up, we would have possibly suffered the kind of fate that that Iceland have in in Group A, where they've had a very rough time of it. So so possibly we're we're happy enough staying in Group B, and uh, we might still. I mean, the Nations League format is is an odd beast. We might still end up getting the 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 playoff spot. I think it's the, I think it's possible for us to still get the playoff spot somehow. No, maybe not this time, but next time if we stay in Group E, that might be better in terms of getting the playoff spot. I read something about this. I haven't fully gone into the permutations about on it yet, but there's some frustration. But overall, our sense was that this was a very heartwarming and sort of exciting and fun story after a weekend of everyone really arguing about stuff and it, the discourse becoming slightly. Uh, yeah, slightly, slightly vicious. Uh, so everyone had a good time with the game overall, and uh, and everyone now wants to see. These people have been joking, like they really like to see the emergency national team play against the main national team. Though so, I mean, how that would have, would go with? I mean, that's not going to happen anytime soon. But uh, yeah, we we had a good time anyway. We are all for this game happening, and and we'd be we'd be well up for covering <laughs> it on a on a neutral level. But yeah, as as you said, you know. Austria looking ahead now to a campaign in League A next time, but it might well be Norway who have the last laugh anyway. So as we go ahead to to look at uh, Euro 2020 and, and what lies in store for Austria, uh, I'll say thanks very much, Lars Sivertsen, for joining us on the other Bundesliga podcast. It's been a pleasure. Anytime, guys. So that was us talking to Lars Sivertsen about the crazy game that was Austria v Norway and perhaps nothing sums up Frankofoda's Austria more than the, when we were talking, Simon, in the stadium about this protecting the 1-0, uh, protecting the 1-0 defeat that is, you know, that would have seen Austria top the group against uh, a C or D side of Norway. Uh, 1-0 down, Frankofoda brings on Gernot Trauner, which on one level we were very happy to see. But on the other level, we were just thinking, what is going on here? And I think that's that's basically Foda's Austria summed up in a microcosm, you know, grabbing a, a, a lucky late 1-1 draw against a, a makeshift side and then 
sort of topping the group. But I'm so glad at least they got that late goal because it would have been pretty hard to celebrate Austria winning the group uh, had they had they actually been defeated in that game. Yeah, it would have been winning the group in like the worst way possible. <laughs> Losing against yeah a Norway C team would have been embarrassing for a, a full strength Austria team. But I mean, the positives outweigh the negatives, I guess. I mean, Austria have been promoted to Ligue A. Um, we have some great fixtures to look forward to, but they just went around, went about it in two very unremarkable performances. I kind of knew this was going to happen, though, because I saw earlier on in the group stages of the Nations League, Scotland played against the Czech Republic, and it was um, yeah a couple of months ago now, and it was exactly the same scenario. Czech Republic had to put together a side of sort of under-23s and players who were not capped. And they ran Scotland really, really hard and only just ended up being defeated on the day. So I knew this was going to be, you know, as last talked about, a, a highly motivated Norway side. I was expecting that. But still, to see Austria play so defensively against that side, it does take a bit of the fun away. But when you look over towards next year, it should be a great time for the Austrian national team. You've got the Euros coming up. You've got the World Cup qualifying draw ahead. So more excitement uh, to be to be drawn out of the hat there. And also, of course, now the draw for Nations League, League A. So we could be talking about some absolutely massive sides, massive nations coming over to play games in Austria, which is which is just brilliant, isn't it? That's exactly what the Nations League should be about for us. So, you know, are there any ties that, that you guys are looking forward to? Yeah, there's a few really potentially exciting opponents for Austria here. I'd obviously, in, in pot three, I'd really like to see, with Austria being in pot four, I'd really like to see England come from pot three, of course. That would be great to see the the three Lions in Vienna. We were supposed to have that in a friendly back in June, but for obvious reasons, that got cancelled. And then, I don't know, maybe Germany are in kind of crisis right now. I'd like to see Franco Ferda take on, take on Joachim Löw in the in the the battle of beleaguered German-speaking national coaches. And then and then perhaps from, from pot A, you know, France or, or Spain or, or Belgium, I mean, anyone really, that's such an exciting pot, Italy being the, the last country in there. So yeah, it's going to be a, definitely going to be a tough prospect for Austria, whatever happens. Spain, Germany, England, Austria, what a group that would be for Nations League next year. For me, I think uh, France, Germany, England, Austria would be just an incredible group for us. But equally, I mean, a group of Italy, Poland, Ukraine and Austria could be the kind of group where Austria potentially couldn't get relegated. So I think if you're Austria, you want to play top teams. And the fact that there's the potential for a France or a Spain, Germany, England group is tantalising, really. Is this only going to force Franco Foda to be even more conservative, though, playing against huge nations like that? Or does it give him a chance to kind of unleash a little bit and let the side go? Almost certainly. But you have to remember the last time Franco Foda played Germany, it was a 2-1 win for Austria. So <laughs> who knows what could happen? Uh, they could surprise a few teams, really. They might set up uh, even more negatively, but against a bigger team, it's understandable, I guess. So it's rather a long way off until Austria play in League A, but we've definitely got some exciting groups to look forward to uh, one way or the other. It's going to be some big teams, some big games ahead for Austria. We've got the World Cup qualifying draw as well. If there wasn't enough international football to go around, that's on the 4th of December. So there's some even more uh, interesting permutations and pots and stuff there for Austria. Um, the good news is by topping the Nations League group as they did, they've also kind of taken a bit of a step towards World Cup qualification. 
Yeah, exactly. In the Nation League format, all the group winners are put into like a, a chart almost. And um, with the League A teams almost certainly all qualifying via the, the normal route, if, if Austria don't finish in the top two in their group, they are almost 100% assured of at least the World Cup playoff spot. But you'd hope that Austria would finish in the top two in their group, so they wouldn't have to fall back on that. But uh, it's a, a second level of, of, of safety, really, for Austria going forward. Yeah, bit of a bit of a backup option at least. I think just I wanted to say one final thing about the Nations League because we're also sort of doom and gloom about Austria right now and the way international football is. And my thought is, you know, the Nations League is still new and it was designed to to get rid of these friendlies. As as Lee mentioned, the Luxembourg friendly was sort of questionable whether it was worth playing, especially at this time, you know, with COVID and everything. But the Nations League was designed to sort this out by pitting teams against rivals who are much more closely matched so what do you think just on a wider question about the Nations League do you guys think isn't it inevitable that the games are tighter and therefore you know didn't we want that to make things more exciting when you play against teams like maybe Northern Ireland maybe Norway you know teams of a similar level to Austria rather than having a game against San Marino and then another game against Spain this isn't this what we wanted in a way and now because the teams are so evenly matched, the games are, are sort of turning into a bit of a yeah, a bit of a stalemate instead. I think that's mostly just the case with Austria. There, if you look around at some of the other international fixtures, there have been some some really exciting games. You look at League A, Belgium beating Denmark four two. You know, Erling Haaland's been on great goal scoring form for Norway in this this very group. So I think perhaps the lack of you know, excitement in the games is more down to, to Austria and Franco Ferda's tactics specifically rather than as a fault of the competition itself. I think there's also a case that the countries are still finding where, where, where they should be in, in the leagues because when it was initially done, it was done via the FIFA World Rankings. And as we know, the FIFA World Rankings are not the best um, way to, to do these teams. So I think right now we're seeing teams getting relegated and promoted to, to the level they should be at. And I think Austria's level should be in League A, but at the bottom of League A rather than the top of the, of the second level. And, and Iceland, for example, this is not the Iceland of four years ago. I think the Iceland now is of, of a League C level almost. So you're finding these teams are getting promoted and relegated, which can lead to, to these games which are not as exciting. So just a case of things settling down a little bit, perhaps. Uh, in any case, that was it for international football as far as Austria are concerned for 2020. Plenty to look ahead, whether it, we're excited about it or not, in uh, 2021. Euros coming up. Obviously, much, much better, at least, that Austria are there at the Euros, whatever our level of expectation is for that. Um, was there anything else from around this international break that uh, that you guys wanted to catch up with before we uh, we go to the Bundesliga? Because one or two things caught my eye, for sure. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that the, the Faroe Islands got promoted from League D. You were talking earlier, Tom, about the fact that it's more of a level playing field now that we've got the, the UEFA Nations League format. And, you know, the Faroe Islands have come come away from this this international break with two 1-1 draws, away to Latvia and away to Malta. And that's been enough for them to get promoted. So I, th- I think that's a really nice story from the from the Nations League this time around. Also, there's the promotion of, of Gibraltar as well, which is quite incredible for a place of 30,000 inhabitants and, and they did it by scoring three goals in four games against Liechtenstein and San Marino so fair play to Gibraltar and the Faroe Islands for both getting promoted from the bottom level. 
Gibraltar scored three goals in a group involving two games against San Marino. Is that correct? Is that what you're saying? That is correct. And Liechtenstein, of course, as well. <laughs> but, but they were undefeated, so well done to Gibraltar. Wow. So we talked about the Nations League settling down and the sort of finding its level a little bit. I think I can quite confidently state that after only narrowly managing to defeat San Marino, I would, I would imagine Gibraltar are going to be back down in, in League D uh, very soon, but they can enjoy their moment in the sun anyway. And uh, talking about enjoying moments, I can't believe that none of you picked up on Scotland getting to the Euros. The 23-year-long wait is going to end next summer. Scotland beat Serbia on penalties after beating Israel on penalties. Um, I, I, come on, what, what do you have to say about that? I was obviously very, very happy about this, Scotland going to the Euros. Yeah, I can imagine you were very, very happy, Tom. You tweeted after that game saying that you weren't going to take your Scotland shirt off for another 22 or 23 years. So, you know, I feel feel sorry for we're recording recording this. We're recording this remotely, but I feel very sorry for the people that are going to be in your direct confines in the coming months if you're not going to take that Scotland shirt off. I have to wear it underneath everything if I'm going to stick to this this self-imposed rule. But yeah, Scotland got to the Euros on penalties. Absolutely brilliant. But Germany as well. Germany being beaten 6-0 by Spain. Crazy. They beat Ukraine to top the group. That was only their first ever home win in the Nations League too. So what's going on with Germany at the moment? They they have not taken well to the UEFA Nations League. Is it time for Yogi Löw to, to leave? I think he's been granted, you know, quite a lot of time to sort Germany out after the 2018 World Cup debacle. And, you know, he said that there are some players there like Thomas Müller and Mats Hummels that he's simply not going to call upon. I wonder if now he's just being a little bit stubborn about it and he doesn't want to go back on his word, because I think there's a good argument, you know, from looking at Germany's defence the other day that somebody with the experience and stability of, of Mats Hummels would be, you know, really useful to the team right now. So I wonder if perhaps he's, you know, too proud to go back on something he's announced. Um, and yeah, I, to be honest, I, I can see his days being numbered there because, you know, this is what happens in, in international football. You go through cycles. Spain had their cycle. Germany had a cycle. And, you know, France looked like they're entering a new cycle now. And perhaps it's just time for some, some new life in the, in the Germany camp. And there's also a link to Austria here. That was Germany's biggest defeat since a 6-0 defeat against Austria in 1931. So an Austrian link there for you. Excellent. Always love an Austrian link. Great way to end the podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on today, guys. Really nice to meet up with you remotely as well for the other Bundesliga. And uh, happily, we can look forward to some more Austrian Bundesliga action coming up from this very weekend onwards. On the 29th of November, it's Rapid Vienna against Austria Vienna in the Vienna derby, which is always something to watch out for. So I'm looking forward to that coming very, very shortly. Yes, first Vienna derby of the season. Coming up, uh, well, next week already. It's coming around fast. So before we go back to the Bundesliga, we'll leave you there for this international break podcast. Thanks very much for joining us on the other Bundesliga and we'll see you again very, very soon. If you've enjoyed this episode, tweet us at other Bundesliga and let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. All music on the other Bundesliga appears courtesy of Gabriel Geber at Tongeber Studios. For something completely different, why not check out The Amelia Project, an audio fiction podcast co-produced in Vienna. <laughs>